If you'd like, you can turn back to the book of Mark, chapter 7. If you close your Bibles, to that is where we'll be this morning. And just ask the Lord's blessing one more time. Ah, gracious Heavenly Father, we do ask your blessing upon your word, that it would be your word, and this message, your truth, and it may find fertile ground in our hearts. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Ah. Well, as we turn there, to, or as you already are there, most likely, Kind of a bit of a reminder, I think, it's for those of you, if you've ever read the book of Mark, it is the shortest of the gospel accounts. And it's a fairly, I don't know, fast-paced, so to speak, uh, account. It kind of moves very quickly uh, through the different events of the Lord's earthly ministry. And uh, one of the the emphasis or the the purpose of the book that really draws out uh, of the Lord's ministry and his character is that he is the suffering servant. We see. And part of the thing, I think, that helps uh, to draw out also that there are 15 recorded accounts of Jesus' miraculous healings in the book of Mark. And just at this point, we're almost to the halfway point of the book of Mark, and we've already seen 12 of them. So within half the book, like 12 of these accounts have been already uh, uh, laid out for us. Uh, I think, you know, as we see that that part of the uh, the Lord's work, you know, serving, healing. And we come to another one here. If there's a title or or heading in your your Bible, at this point it usually says something like, Jesus heals a deaf mute. And part of that seems (laughs) self-explanatory, pretty straightforward, as it were. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, factual. Man can't hear deaf, the Lord heals him. Move on. <laughs> but like anything in the Word of God, there's always far more than we can imagine. At least that's the more I study, the more one, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> and then also the more I realize the Lord has yet to teach me. When I come to a passage like this, it's like, what is this? What do you want me to know? Part of it, I come to this like, I want you to know more about me. So what do we see about our Lord? What do we see about our God in, in a recorded event like this? Well, we're going to see how God acts. How he interacts with people. How he interacts with his creation. If, we, if people ever wonder, well, what is God like? <laughs> how does he behave? What does it look like lived out? The Gospels is one of the best places, not the only place in the Word of God, but one of the best places to see that on display because we literally have God in the flesh interacting with humanity, living alongside them, carrying on with them. So if we ever want to know how God behaves, what he's like, the Gospels is a great place to find that. So a couple of things as we look at this event, I hope that we see or what, what I saw as we look at our account, at this account, we see some of the character of God come out. As we begin, it says, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 
In verse 31, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. If you don't remember, but the last time we were in the book of Mark, we saw him up at Tyre and Sidon, which is up on the coast of the Mediterranean, kind of way up there near the border of, of, of Lebanon, as it were, the northern part of the nation Israel. Went up there and, and, and for a meeting with a Gentile woman. And now it tells us <clears throat> he's coming all the way from that point, all the way around to the Decapolis. If you don't know your geography of that time, the Decapolis region was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee on the eastern side of the River Jordan. So if you imagine, kind of get it in your picture, you know, the nation Israel, I'm probably doing this backwards, but anyways, you know, on one side you get way up north on the Sea of Galilee, I mean the Sea of the Mediterranean Sea. So they'd have to come all the way across the top. The usual trade route kind of, you know, parallels, you know, the north, it goes east to west or west to east. Up north, uh, you know, kind of towards uh, Caesarea Philippi, which is way up north, about 50 miles or so north of the Sea of Galilee, over and then down, you know, south to that region of the Decapolis, which at one time, way back in Israel's history, was part of the nation. That's where a couple of the tribes were. You know, just before they entered the, the Promised Land, a couple of them, I believe, uh, I can't remember, really, Reuben was one, I forget, the, the Manasseh, half-tribe of Manasseh said, hey, we kind of like this area. This is nice. Is it all right if we set up shop here? <laughs> Thank you, Doug. So, anyways, uh, those tribes set up, you know, set up their land there you know, and, and built their homes there before going into the the the, the to help crossing the Jordan, help the rest of the tribes conquer the rest of the land. But so anyways, that, that journey, though, that the Lord going from Tyre and Sidon over and down 100 miles-ish, you know, following the, the trade route, you know, depending on how it goes, how well they followed it down and over. It's a long way by foot. I've never walked 100 miles. <laughs> not all at once, at least. Not one journey at one time. But we see this. We see the Lord uh, going, taking a, a considerable uh, journey. And as I think about this, part of me, you know, in my mind, a little, you know, the the uh, pop culture mindset of mine, I, you know, gets the sun. The Lord gets around. It's the old Beach Boys song, I think. You know, round, 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 round. I get around. Or maybe moving more to you know my 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 particular you know wheelhouse of country music. You know, I think of some. Some Willie Nelson, you know, on the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. One of my favorites, Johnny Cash. You know, I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. Well, they are. And the Lord, he does get around, literally. I mean, you can kind of have a little fun with that, but he does. I mean, how just from one here over to there, back around again and down, it's quite a journey. He's willing to go a long way. It didn't deter the Lord. You know, he was willing to go. Because he had purpose. He had reason to everything he did. And part of that made me think, you know, even when we look at his earthly ministry, how far he would go for the different events, you know, the meeting with the, the, the Gentile woman back down to this particular event to take place here in this account, 
this deaf and mute man, but how much further he went when he left heaven to be our Savior. That was quite a journey, too. And he was willing to make it. Part we see here in this that uh, part of our, this passage is a God who makes Himself available. He's a God who makes Himself available. He comes near. He's not a God who is far off. He's a God who is near at hand. He comes. He comes close. And part of this is interesting because I say He'd been in this region before. A couple of chapters ago, the, 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 the account with the swine, <laughs> demon-possessed man, they went to the swine, they ran into the, into, into the sea. How come he didn't meet up with this guy then? That well, wasn't the right time. The Lord had no problem coming back around again. And as our passage in verse 32 then says, when he, once he's there, it says, then they brought him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. Interesting. Part of it is, who's the they? I assume it was his friends, his family, some kind. Or perhaps it could have even been the disciples. doesn't exactly say. We can assume to that. But some group of people there brought him, this individual. Brought him this man. It's interesting. Again, the way my mind works partially it says he was deaf and mute. Part of me is like, why do you need to say both? Aren't they the same? Not necessarily. Again, I did just a little poking. You know, I was kind of like, well, because it, you know, I would, like I said, I would assume that one is deaf, you are mute. You can't speak. Well, apparently you can. It takes work, it takes effort. I was reading an account of one man who was born deaf who said, yes, he could speak about almost 90%. Uh, uh, and he said some can get even higher with effort. And I can only imagine that a lot of that is muscle memory because they obviously can't hear if they're making the sounds correctly. It's only through knowing the muscle memory of the tongue and the lip, the positions of that, if they're doing it correctly. Boy. I, I speak bad enough. <laughs> I'm not a good speaker as it is. I can't imagine what it would be like if I couldn't even hear myself, what I would sound like. But it can be done. So both he, this individual, this man, could not hear, and he had something wrong with his tongue that prevented him from speaking as well. Double whammy. But anyway, so they bring them this man. It says they begged him, begged him to put his hands on him. It's interesting. That makes me think it's probably most likely his family or friends, because I don't think the disciples would have needed to beg the Lord to do anything. But they begged him. Again, part of the, the again the 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 the. the, the, the perspective but anyway what was going on i'm sure word had gotten out they knew of jesus of nazareth and when they heard that he was back in the area they thought this was their opportunity if anyone can heal him it's jesus of nazareth so they bring him they said they beg him to touch him to put his hands on him 
Obviously, they've heard all it takes. You know, when the Lord he touches him, he can heal him with his hands. Uh, maybe a slight side note, but it, for some reason, it reminded me of you know, that idea of begging. You know, brought me back to a little bit of the, uh, this weekend and, and Memorial Day. It reminded me of a movie called the the uh, A Bridge Too Far. Ever heard of it? the account of World War II? It was a Operation Market Garden. The Allies were going up through uh, Belgium and Holland. Thought they could outflank the German army and come in through the north and, and get in that way. Didn't work out so well. It's a great movie, kind of a documentary style. So if it's not your thing, don't watch it because <laughs> it's long, very long. But very true to the history. They said it was one of those movies that they really did their best to try to really hold to the events that took place. And one of them, again, that, that is portrayed in the movie, uh, for those who, who weren't there, they, they called foul. They thought that didn't happen like that. That wouldn't have gone down like that. Well, the men who were there said, yeah, it did. It's an event where, where this one sergeant, uh, because the attack went, didn't go so well, his, his lieutenant was injured and near death. But he, he made a promise to him that he would make sure that he lived through it. Well, anyways, he was, this man was barely alive, and the sergeant gets him in a jeep, drives through enemy line, you know, the, the, everywhere around, battle raging, gets him back to a field hospital somehow. And he gets him to the, the surgeon, and the, the guy gives a brief, brief look at him and says, he's already dead, and isn't going to even look at him. And the sergeant is begging with him to take a look, to just look at him. And he, this, first the, sergeant, the surgeon isn't going to. The sergeant actually pulls out his sidearm, or the, the lieutenant's sidearm, I'm sure, who he points it at him and says, if you don't look at him, I'm going to shoot you. Those who didn't said, no, it wouldn't have happened like that. He said, the surgeon said, hey, yeah, I did. That's exactly what happened. So he said, he, finally, he said, okay, I'll look at him. It turns out he was just barely alive. They got him in. They did what they needed to do, and that man survived. Because <laughs> his friend, his sergeant, was absolutely desperate to make sure he got care. I don't know why that's not exactly the same kind of situation we have here. But I think a certain similar desperation, begging, begging him to put his hands on him. And of course, the Lord being the Lord is going to say yes. And we see here that, again, but what's going on? As the Lord, it says, deaf and mute. In a little bit, the Lord's going to kind of check him out. I see it again, thinking of God who is not far off, a God who makes himself available. He's a God who draws near, or draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But he's always available. Again, sometimes we think of that like we have to make this long journey to get to God, and then he will come close. No, he's right there. It's almost like all you have to do is go, God, could you? Yes. That's the idea. We don't make the long journey up the mountain, through the desert, the wilderness, or whatever, to get to God. He's already there. All we need to do is turn. 
and call on his name. And he's there. And that's what we see here. He said they, they beg him to put his hands on him. And in verse 33, he says, And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ear and spat and touched his tongue. It's interesting. Part here we see a God who provides care. He's been begged to touch, begged to heal this man. And he's a God who does. But it's interesting. He could have just healed him like that. Okay, you're done. Good to go. I got things to do. We know that God is infinitely powerful. He could have healed him from He could have healed him from Tyre and Sidon. He didn't need to come all that way. We've seen that in other accounts. <laughs> but he did. Because first we see in this he examines him. Seems an odd examination at first glance. He puts his ears or his fingers in his ears and he spits and grabs his tongue. I'm not sure if he spit on his hand, grabbed his tongue, did he spit on his tongue? Whatever's going on here, at first glance seems a little hard to understand. <laughs> you know, first I think, what is he giving him the wet willy treatment with the fingers in the air? <laughs> is it three stooges grabbing his tongue? <laughs> you know, testing him, you know, if he reacts like, hey, knock that up. Ha, faker, gotcha. I don't really need healing. No. <laughs> no. No, he's examining him like any good doctor would. So I've said, one of the titles the Lord has, while it's not written in Scripture, is certainly true to what we see. He is the good physician. He is the great physician. <laughs> the greatest there ever was or will be. And he takes him aside from the multitude. He gives him personal attention. I don't know about you, but if I'm getting examined by a doctor, it doesn't happen often, thankfully, I don't want it to be done in public. Just me, I'm a little shy that way. And I see that. Again, just not even just that aspect, just personal attention, one-on-one. How often the Lord does that? Everything going on around him, everything he's involved in, every, his ultimate mission of salvation. But there's always time for personal attention. The Lord was never rushed, <laughs> which often humbles me because I'm always rushed or feel like I'm always rushed. What we see here, he, gives him, he physically touches him. Again, that could be overlooked. doesn't seem much. But think about it. God Almighty takes time to touch. Touch can be comforting. Touch can be reassuring. Especially when you're hurting, when you're in need. And that's our God. Our God who comforts and reassures And here we have God in the flesh, physically interacting. We've seen it before, but I don't think we want to lose sight of that, of our God. Again, he is not aloof, he is not far away, he's not untouchable. He's got a great bedside manner. That's our God. 
And as a side note here, I don't want to get too far down this road, but people may wonder or ask, but what about today? Well, that's where the body of Christ comes in. And I don't want to go to say I don't want to go too far down there because that's a whole other message in and of itself on how that plays out in this dispensation. But God has indwelt every believer with the Holy Spirit. With God himself resides and everyone has placed their faith and trust in him. And if that be so, if we yield to the Spirit in compassion and touch and comfort and care, well, the divine is there in that moment. He is there. He is touching through his body today. And our God provides care. He provides emotional care as well. We see here. It says, I think in verse 34, it says, Then looking up to heaven, he sighed. He sighed. Uh, briefly, look, he says, he looked up. He, another translation says, he groaned. And there's a couple of ways you could take that. It could be like, ugh. That's usually my groan. <laughs> Especially if I'm busy and things are going on and some, you know, I, I, I have a bad habit. If I've got a, a, a a particular task or direction I'm heading in and something comes in of need, it's like, uh, what now? Oh, I need the Spirit. <laughs> but not our God. And specifically, this word, this sigh that was given here when I looked it up, as one says, an inward, unexpressed sorrow, a grief. Uh, a murmur to pray inaudibly with grief. I think what we see here is he knows this man's pain. Even if it's not physical pain, the pain of silence. I don't know what it's like, but it never, to never hear a human voice, to hear words of comfort. I love you. I care about you to never speak anything, to never be able to communicate to others. I don't know what type of, if they had any type of sign language. I don't think so. I never looked into that, to to the roots of it. But I don't think it dates back that far. To be so limited in communication for all these years. The Lord grieved that. Our God is an emotional God. What a blessing that is to know that our God has emotions and he shares them. He's not some stoic God, some unfeeling God, an impersonal God. No, he feels, he breaks, his heart breaks when our hearts break. And think about it too, whenever you're getting any kind of physical uh, care given to you, to know that the person who's giving that care, the physician, the doctor, the nurse, or, or some other caregiver, hurts with you, grieves because you're hurting, sorrows because you have pain and discomfort. We know that has a healing property to our emotion, to our soul. 
The Bible even tells us, grieve those who grieve. Grieve with those who grieve. Because sometimes that's all we need, (laughs) just to know that someone can connect with us. And God connects. He is a God who provides care on every level. But being the perfect provider of care, the perfect and great physician, it doesn't just stay there at that point. As he looked up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephatha, that is, be opened. He provides treatment, physical care, in the way only he can. But I find it interesting. He treats him by commanding. Be opened. That word there, to be open thoroughly, completely. This word can also be, uh, we see this uh, used in the road to Emmaus, when he's talking to the two disciples there to, to expound, to give understanding, but here, to be opened completely. I find it interesting that the Lord's treatment was verbal. Was audio to a man who can't hear, but the results were immediate. It says in verse thirty-five, immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Makes me wonder: Did the man hear the command? Was it instantaneous? Was the first words the, Lord, the man ever heard, was it they the, were they the Lord's? It could be. Or did he begin to hear after the command? It's kind of one of those, which came first, the chicken or the egg, almost. But part I wonder is, or was it a response of the man's body at a molecular, cellular level? I don't know exactly, but I find it interesting when you think about it that way, that the cells of the human body that heard the command of the ones who created them, and the only thing that they could do was naturally obey. Just like the wind and the waves. And the Lord said, be still. Stillness. The water into wine. Time and time again, I find it how interesting that the creator, when the Lord commands creation, obeys. Kind of weird that human beings can say, nah. Sad, actually. But the man's body, at some level, in some way, when they heard the command of Almighty God, obeyed. And he was healed. Again, such a God who can provide every aspect of care to meet his needs. And again, when you think about that, he often says, we are told to cast our cares upon him, for he cares for you. 
He does care. He does care. But as we move in this passage, we see him move and interact with, with this man. And we see that, he, that he's a God who makes himself available. A God who provides care. We also see that he's God who doesn't toot his own horn. It may seem a, maybe an odd thought here, but as I, we come to verse 36, he says, Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. I always find that interesting. This isn't the first time that the Lord has done this after a healing or a miraculous event. He tells them to not tell anyone. To be silent about it. It's always a head-scratcher for me to some degree. It seems that Jesus isn't interested in promoting what he did. In some ways, we see in just a, 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 from a, you know, like a physical healing aspect here. After the healing, he is almost a doctor, physician, giving final instructions. You would think that he would be have something along the lines of, you know, drink plenty of water, don't eat spicy food, get some rest, you know, don't do a lot of public speaking, you know, rest that voice, you know, it's brand new, you know, don't wear it out. But he commands silence, in a way. Again, seems odd. But while he is the great physician physically, he is also the great physician mentally, emotionally, spiritually. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God. In some aspect, like I said, he's not just the great uh, uh, doctor. You know, physical doctor. He's also, you, know, you could say, he's also the, the greatest psychologist as, a, as there ever was. I don't know. Part of me always wonders that this is this some is the Lord using a little reverse psychology on the people? Okay, don't go around telling everybody because he knows they will. Part of it in in even that is uh, he knows the human mind better than anyone. And sometimes he, and sometimes he knows, or he knows, we don't always do what we're told. But part of me always wonders, what would it look like in the recorded events as the Lord would say, okay, now go tell everyone what was done here. I don't know about you, but I know people who go, what an arrogant fella. Got to have it all about him. He's got the whole world's got to know what he did. You know that's not true. But the Lord's not about self-promotion. He's about that individual. Now, we have a humble God, a gracious God, a meek and lowly God. One who's there to serve and provide. We haven't gotten there yet, but the Lord makes it very clear to his disciples in a few chapters when he tells them, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And what a beautiful pattern that sets for us. I 
find is this is the God that we have. A humble God, a caring God, an available God. And we come to the final verse in this passage. It says, then he looking up, or I'm sorry. <laughs> and it says, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Again, they're making very specific contrast. That there are two things at play there. He's unable to hear, unable to speak, and he's able to do both. Does all things well. You know, in our, our day and age today, if, if so often now we get to rate service of any kind, whether it's you know food service, a cleaning service, uh, a carpentry service, and doctors. Online, how did you? How would you rate your service? Different levels of satisfaction. I think the Lord gets five stars, if that's all you're counting up to. <laughs> but I like this comment. He has done all things well. All things well. There's not one aspect of it that was not atten- attended to. There's not one thing left out There's not a return visit, a follow-up visit. All things well. And that is our God who does all things well because he is good all the time. And all the time, he is good. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, who is good, all the time. We do give thanks in your name. Thankful for all the good that you have done towards your creation, to your, well, to humanity, even if they reject you. Father, we know that you do all things well. We praise you for them. In your son's name, amen.